Welcome to another episode of the LA Public Health Podcast. I'm Steve Baldwin. Chances are you've heard of cardiopulmonary resuscitation, better known by its acronym CPR. And when we think of CPR, most of us think of providing chest compressions and mouth-to-mouth resuscitation to help keep someone alive whose heart has stopped. But for many of us, it's the mouth-to-mouth part that's a barrier, particularly if a person that needs help is a stranger. The latest trend in CPR, however, is hands-only CPR. And to help us understand why hands-only CPR has the real potential to save lives, I'm joined today by Stella Fogelman. She is the Director of Emergency Preparedness and Response Division in the Department of Public Health here in Los Angeles County. Stella, welcome to the LA Public Health Podcast. Thank you so much, Steve. I'm happy to be here. It's been really exciting to be part of this movement. We have half a million people in LA County being trained on hands-only CPR, and I being one of them. I just went through training myself a few days ago. So why is hands-only CPR such a big deal, and how is it different from traditional CPR? Hands-only CPR, as the name says, is where we're asking folks to go ahead and start chest compressions. And the way that it's different is that it does not take the same level and amount of training as traditional CPR. Traditional CPR and uh, what a lot of our folks here at the Department of Public Health, our clinicians, our uh, nurses, our physicians, and some of our other clinical folks need to take traditional CPR where they're basic care life support certified. And that is a multiple hour class where they learn how to give rescue breaths and do chest compressions. And they also learn how to perform this for infants, toddlers, children, as well as adults. Hands-only CPR, you're not learning to do the rescue breaths, and it's very, very quick. American Heart Association, in particular, has a lot of resources on their website to show that hands-only CPR can be almost as effective as Mm. traditional CPR with rescue breaths. But if not applied at all, as you were saying, if people are having difficulty or resistant or hesitant to provide rescue breaths, which a lot of people are, especially after the pandemic, we don't want that to be a barrier. And we want for people to have this life-saving skill to be able to apply. So it, it just requires chest compressions. What you would do if you see an adult or a teen suddenly collapse is make sure that you call 911 however you can or get somebody to call 911. And while the emergency medical services is uh, on their way, that you initiate the chest compressions. And that's um, what hands-only CPR teaches you is how to perform those chest compressions. You tap the person and see if they're responsive. And if they're not responsive, then you go ahead. So then you put your, uh, and I guess we can talk about uh, more of the steps in a little bit, but you begin. Yeah. 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 I was going to say, let me, let me pause you there for a second, because you said something that I think is key here. And, and you said adult or teen. Right. And so hands only CPR isn't for children or babies or is it? So not Uh in the way that, you know, it's a, it's a quick training. 
for folks who are already trained in how to give traditional CPR to an infant uh, or a child, then we encourage people to go ahead and do that. And we do encourage people who have been trained to do rescue breathing to go ahead and do that. We don't want people to not do that. If they've been trained and they're comfortable to jump in and do the full traditional CPR, please go ahead and do that. But if you have not been trained and you've been trained in bystander CPR, that's where we're saying go ahead and and do what you've been trained to do and initiate CPR because that can be life-saving. You can double or even triple somebody's chance of survival um, if they're in cardiac arrest and you go ahead and start those chest compressions. So you use the term bystander CPR. So is that another way of of saying just hands-only CPR like the one that I was trained on recently? Exactly. Yes. That's another way that we mention it. Mm -hmm. That brings up another question. So so you said bystander CPR. If if I'm, let's say, at the mall or walking down the street and I see someone who's who falls over, is unresponsive, is not breathing, I let someone know, you, go call 911. I'm starting compressions. Yes. Um, is there any risk for me as a bystander who's, like, trying to really help someone? Am I at risk for, like, a lawsuit or anything like that? Well, you know, everybody – Anybody can sue anybody for anything, right? So (laughs) you may be at risk for a lawsuit living your everyday life, but there are good Samaritan laws. Mm. There are good Samaritan laws in effect that help protect people, you know, who are in good faith trying to save somebody's life. Folks can rely on those good Samaritan laws to um, come into effect if you, if there's evidence that what you were doing was trying to save somebody's life. Got it. It was the Good Samaritan law that I was trying to think of. Yes, yes. Yeah. That's good to know that that exists. So when should someone perform hands-only CPR? When do we know it's appropriate to use our training? Right, yeah. So it is when you see a teen or adult suddenly collapse and you look at them, you tap them on the shoulder, you know, or, or tap them vigorously um, to see if they're responsive. If they do not respond to you, you want to go ahead and call 911 to get emergency medical services there as soon as they can and then initiate the chest compressions. So in traditional CPR, you know, they teach you a lot about looking for uh, breathing and looking for a pulse. In hands-only CPR, again, if you've been trained to be able to do that, then we encourage you to do that. But in hands-only CPR, if they are unresponsive when you tap them vigorously and you see that they're not they're not breathing or they are doing a gasping breath that is not like regular breathing it's like a gasps for breath that are intermittent but don't seem voluntary go ahead and start the chest compressions what you're doing is you are pumping their heart for them so that the blood can get to the brain and the vital organs to keep that person alive until emergency medical services can come and apply a defibrillator. And that will shock the heart back into rhythm. But if in the time that emergency medical services is on their way and the blood perfusion and the oxygenation has not reached the brain and the vital organs, there could be uh, permanent damage to the brain and vital organs in the meantime mm-hmm. while emergency medical services are, is arriving. Got so, it. so you're, bu- you're buying them some time for until exactly. the emergency medical people can arrive, really. Exactly. You're Got pumping it. that blood through the body to keep the brain and vital organs alive. Got it. Okay, so you, you mentioned some key steps 
you know, you see someone fall over, right? Or you, right. you, yeah. you see them uh, sort of like, I don't know, is pass out the right word or kind of, well, you, we you see them collapse. fall. Yeah, collapse. we say collapse. Okay, got just, it. Just, you know, because it's such a, a visual, you know, you see somebody just yes. suddenly slump over. They okay. didn't trip and fall, you know, they're upright and then they collapse. Okay, so you see someone collapse. What's the first thing that I do? Walk me through the steps. Okay. So we always want to make sure that we remain safe. So you want to check the scene. You don't want to run straight out. If they're in the middle of the street or at a crosswalk, you want to make sure that the scene is safe and that you're safe. If that's the case, then you tap the person on the shoulder vigorously to see if they're okay. And you say verbally, and it sounded like, you know, you were just practicing because the way you said, Steve, are you okay? Sounded like you just took your training. So, um, <laughs> right. So you tap them and say and ask if they're okay, and you look for signs of any breathing or if they respond verbally to you, you know, then mm-hmm. you don't need mm-hmm. to initiate CPR. If they're, they're responding verbally to you, then they're obviously breathing and their, their heart is beating. But right. if there's there's no breathing, there's no evidence of breathing or their response to you, go ahead and call 911 for assistance. So that's your that's your other step, right? Okay. Call 911. Or you can ask somebody, if, if there's anybody else on the scene, you can ask them to call 911. In our training, I thought a great tip was to call 911, put your phone on speaker and sit it down next to you. Yes, absolutely. So that you can talk while your hands are busy, you know, doing the compressions. I thought that was a great idea. That's a great idea. Yes. And if, if somebody's around. Also, mm-hmm. in public spaces, a lot of times now there is an AED, an automatic external defibrillator. Mm. Um, You see those in airports. You see them in malls sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, If somebody is trained, we ask them to go ahead and get that AED. Or if somebody is standing by, you can ask somebody to go get it. We want you to make sure that you initiate the chest compressions as soon as you can. But if, if you see an AED in that space or you know there's one there, you can go ahead and get that as well. So those are a couple of steps. They're, they're not okay. everywhere, but just want to note that for folks. Okay. So I've checked to see if they're responsive. I've called 911. I've put my phone on speaker or I've said, go you, buddy, call 911. I've pointed to someone and asked them yep. to do that. Okay. Yep. So then what's the next step? So you want to make sure the person is on their back on a firm and flat surface. So on the on the ground, on the floor um, is where, you know, you don't want them to be on a soft surface. And then you kneel down beside that person. Then you use correct hand placement. So you want to place the heel of one hand in the center of the chest, right on what's the sternum, right in the center of the chest. There's a bone there. You put your hand there and then you put your other hand on top of that hand. I use my dominant hand, so I use my right hand on the sternum, and then I put my left hand over, but it really is just a matter of preference. It doesn't matter. Uh, then you interlace your fingers. And then, Steve, I don't know if when you did your training that um, you noticed that if you shift your body weight forward, that really is gonna give you the leverage to be able to do the chest compressions at the depth that you need to, because you do have to go two inches down and it's pretty deep, right? To get that clicking noise on the mannequin. Yeah, it was really deep. You have to push fairly hard. And is mm-hmm. is the mannequin, is it analogous to how it feels on a real person? I mean, I've never done it on a real person. It right. really is two yeah. inches down on a real person. 
it's two inches down on the real person because if you okay. picture the heart is down underneath the sternum. And so you yeah. need to be pressing enough to be able to squeeze the heart so the heart can squeeze the blood to the body, to the brain and vital organs. So it's pretty far down. It's two inches down. It also does help to keep your elbow, lock your elbows so they're straight so that your body weight is pushing down to get that two inches of leverage that you need to get. Got it. And then how long does, how long are you doing the, well, okay, I guess we should talk about the pace of the compressions and how long we're doing the compressions. Both of those are important, right? True, true. So you're doing the two inches down and it's at 100 to 120 compressions per minute. So classically, the song from, I think it's the 70s, Staying Alive, the disco song. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And if other people (laughs) like other kinds of music or from other generations, many dance songs are 100 to 120 beats per minute. That's the pace of the compressions that you want to do because that's it's higher than a regular heart rate, but it's going to be enough to perfuse the brain and vital organs while EMS is on their way. Okay, so if you've never heard the song Staying Alive by the Bee Gees, after this podcast, <laughs> use I don't your think streaming that there's service. anybody who's listening to this who's never heard Staying Alive. Staying Alive, Staying Alive, <laughs> ah, 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 Staying Alive. So that's about 120 beats per minute, right? So that's, that's pretty, pretty quick. When you're, when you're pumping on someone's chest like that, it's faster than you think, but it's not super fast. It's it's um, it's not a flutter, right? Yeah, it's like right. A it's not it's a, a flutter. That's bump, a good way to describe bump, it. Bump. Because you also want to, so you're compressing down, and then if you're picturing the heart, you're you're pushing the blood out of the heart to the rest of the body. You also want to be lifting up in between the compressions mm. enough so that the heart can fill back up with blood. That's what you're physically doing. So you want to make sure that you are recoiling in between the pressing down. And then how long should you perform hands-only CPR on on someone? So you're supposed to try and do it until EMS arrives. It's several minutes. When we do our public health training, we ask for folks to do a one-minute challenge just to see Mm -hmm. what that's like. And it ends up being quite a workout, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, yeah. and I'm not a small guy. I mean, I'm a, I'm six feet, you know, yeah. 185 pounds. So I, I mean, I can, yeah. it's, I can get on top of that mannequin. But I mean, if you're like a smaller person, do it on me. It might be a physical challenge. So you really got to, to your point, like stretching yeah. out your arms and your elbows, extending them and getting on top. Yeah, mm-hmm. shifting your weight forward so you have that leverage would make it a little bit easier to go longer. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your adrenaline will be kicking in as well because it's going to be a very intense situation if you're coming up on somebody who's collapsed. So you'll be in that kind of fight or flight mode too. Right. Well, that will help you keep that going, but it is quite tiring. And so you want to just make sure that you're breathing. You yourself are breathing. I was reminding people while we're doing the trainings, don't forget, don't hold your breath because you don't want to pass out. Right trying to keep somebody else alive. So you try to keep that up as long as you can. And then if if somebody else is on scene, encourage people to switch out with you so that you can keep it going as long as possible until EMS arrives. Got it. So Stella, what should you do if someone that you're administering hands-only CPR to begins to respond while you're doing the compressions? (laughs) Right. And I think 
sometimes people see this on TV when uh, somebody like is pulled out of the ocean and then they start doing chest compressions and then they wake up. You know, I definitely saw that on Baywatch. I definitely saw that on some <laughs> of the TV shows where they're like, oh, thank you so much. You saved my life. Right. The likelihood of that truly happening is not really there, but, mm. you know, you're, you're, we're really trying, somebody is in really critical situation, but if they do start talking to you, then don't keep going with the chest compressions. Then the, if they're talking, they're obviously breathing, their heart is beating. So you can, you can lay off, stop the, the CPR and just stay and monitor them until EMS arrives. That's what the question is, right? If they start yeah. responding to you, they exactly. say, hey, ouch. <laughs> got, <laughs> got it. <laughs> that makes that makes a lot of sense. Are there other risks or potential complications that, that we haven't discussed associated with performing hands-on CPR? Okay, so when you're doing the chest compressions, and it is pretty deep that we're asking folks to do two inches deep to be able to pump the heart so that the heart can pump the blood to the brain and vital organs, there is the possibility, strong possibility, that people can hear a cracking noise because of ribs either, you know, mm. cracking or moving or even breaking in some circumstances. Now, of course, that can be shocking for people, especially, you know, if they're not expecting that. Um, but if you think about it, if you're keeping somebody alive and if you're not doing the chest compressions that otherwise they could die, Cracked ribs are something that you can treat and recover from, but death is not something that you can treat or recover from. So um, it is sort of a cost benefit thing here. The cost might be some cracked ribs, but the benefit is that you will be alive. Before we um, started recording, we talked about the, the fact that this is an audio medium. People can't see what we're doing as we're talking and our hands are moving together as we're trying to describe the process. So where can folks go to see, is like there a video online or some resources that the public health department has that people can see this process visually? Right. Yeah. On our website, our public health website, publichealth.lacounty.gov, if you add slash heart heroes, that will bring you to our heart heroes website. It talks about our initiative where, um, as you mentioned, our goal is to train 500,000, half a million L.A. County residents and workers in hands-only CPR. We're partnering with some amazing partners, including partners that we worked with in 2019 when we, the, we did the initial Heart Heroes initiative. That was in 2019. Our goal was 100,000, and we surpassed that. I think we got up to over 107,000 people. And now in 2023, we wanted to start that back up with a lot of the partners that we forged great working relationships with during the pandemic. So our sports teams, um, our large event venues, um, we've been at the LA Convention Center. We are at the Low Rider Super Show one weekend. We are at RuPaul's DragCon one weekend. So it's nice. Our teams get to get out among the folks in the community and do trainings. We're also teaming up with, uh, you know, we were at one of the Lakers Fan Fest, Kings hockey games, we'll be at the Dodgers. Uh, we're working with our uh, soccer teams too. So um, we're getting out to where people are in um, sports arenas, 
and then at a lot of community events. And then we're also um, training community and faith-based organizations to be trainers. Um, and we have information mm. about how to become a trainer. If you want to be a community trainer, we have information about that on our website as well. That's great. In fact, I was about to ask, what if I run a business um, and I would like to have my staff trained? How Are there resources for that? Absolutely. Yeah, there you can find existing trainings that we're already scheduling in the community, both public health. And then um, we're working to get some of our partners, L.A. County Fire Department, the city of L.A. Fire Department. Um, they also offer trainings and we're posting all the partners who are working with us on the Heart Heroes Initiative. Um, if they give us their training dates and locations, if they're open to the public, we're posting those on our website as well. Oh, that's great. Again, that website, publichealth.lacounty.gov forward slash heart heroes. And we will drop that link into the show notes for this episode. It should be a hot link. Click right there and go to it right on your smartphone or your desktop and find our resources and take a look. Stella Fogelman, Director of the Emergency Preparedness Response Division in Public Health, thank you so much for joining the show and thanks for the work you guys do every single day. You guys are amazing. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. This episode of LA Public Health was produced by the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Our department is nationally accredited by the Public Health Accreditation Board and is committed to protecting and improving the health of over 10 million residents in Los Angeles County. For more information about DPH programs and services, visit publichealth.lacounty.gov and follow us on social media at LA Public Health. My name is Steve Baldwin and you've been listening to the LA Public Health Podcast.